Hello and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bacor. This is episode 25, recorded on May 28, 2021. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, and thank you for joining me today on the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. My name is Kenneth Bokor, the host, as you have heard. Appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen to another audio podcast where, as you know, my my claim to fame on these things is having really intelligent people on to talk about different facets of the EV marketplace because, you know, you're not going to hear that from me and my intelligence isn't that good. So I'm really stoked to have a gentleman from a company local here in my area, in the Toronto area where they're headquartered. I'm really happy to promote Canadiana as well. As you folks know, I live just outside Toronto. So let me introduce the Chief Commercial Officer from Lifecycle, Mr. Kunal Falfer. How are you, sir? Good, thanks. How, uh, doing well. Hope you're doing the same and, and thanks for having me. No problem. I appreciate you taking the time. It's kind of a rainy day, so it's a good day to be doing a podcast recording anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's like two degrees and rain, almost wet snow here. Go figure where it was 33 <laughs> degrees a couple of days ago with humidity. But hey, that's Canada. That's climate yeah. change. Um, so for folks, um, the, the kind of the topic of this show really is, you know, what's going to happen to all these EV batteries? I mean, you know, I've been promoting the EV marketplace. The, you know, OEMs are stepping up now. We hear, almost daily, weekly, we hear announcements from, from OEMs and car companies the startups that they're building EVs. So we know that the ramp up is really starting to happen. And, you know, I do have a lot of conversations with people about wheel to well and those kind of stories about the whole life cycle of EVs. You know, what's going to happen to all these batteries that have uh, stuff in them that isn't really good for the environment, you know, in some cases. So what are we going to do? And, you know, you guys, uh, I think, are, are, are really primed. And, and I've talked about this on many shows of companies like yourselves are getting into the EV battery uh, recycling company. And Lifecycle founded in 2016. I'll go with some of the notes I have here. You guys are industry leading your, your lithium ion battery resource recovery company. I like that as opposed to recycling because it's different. And the largest lithium ion battery recycler in North America. Now, you guys have customers that include pretty notable OEMs and battery manufacturers like Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, Honda, um, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, General Motors, and Kia, just to name a few small companies. So that's a pretty impressive list that you guys have. Yeah, and I think the despite you know small penetration of EVs on the road right now, um, we're we're already working with a number of OEMs as you said, and and we're already we're already doing this. We're already recycling lithium-ion batteries from mm-hmm. EVs. But I know the topic of show broadly is more on EVs, but we also see batteries from all aspects of your life: consumer yes. electronics, household goods, and also tangential to EVs is the the transport sector as a whole: scooters mm-hmm. through buses, through trucks. Um, we're already seeing batteries come through our doors uh, that need recycling, whether that's from manufacturing or R&D all the way through, you know, vehicles that have come off the road. 
Yeah, it's a great point because it is much bigger than just EVs, as you mentioned, all these other subsets and, and facets of the transportation sector and, and the consumer side. You know, I, I've seen, um, I, I know there's a company that was uh, that was startup by, um, oh, I'm just losing his name now, but the ex-CTO from Tesla, uh, he started a company in California doing more consumer recycling and and, and reclamation, you know, your, your power tool batteries. I mean, more and more consumer goods are becoming rechargeable now. It's very common to see. Um, so that certainly is a big market, but obviously what people can, can, can find more tangible is the electric vehicles. And a lot of people are concerned with all these EVs and the bigger battery packs. Now, you know, we're seeing ranges in 300 mile is kind of the sweet spot. Now it seems to be the, uh, the table stakes for most OEMs. So you've got pretty large packs that have to, you know, be in those vehicles to be able to provide that range. So obviously when those EVs, come due on their life cycle where they end and it's not worth uh, you know, either repurposing or whatever, reclamation through recycling and, and um, uh, recovering is going to be key. So how, how do you guys do it? Um, and what are some of the, the differentiators in your business model versus others? Yeah. And maybe just to comment yeah. on the sheer volume of EVs, I mean, to mm-hmm. give the listeners some context, you know, your typical EV on average is about a half ton or 500 kilograms uh, Okay. Uh, in terms of weight of the battery versus your mm-hmm. phone is 50 to hundred grams. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, those materials are important and we're recycling mm-hmm. them and there's more and more of them, but the sheer volume of EVs is really going to drive both the demand for batteries and the demand for recycling mm-hmm. in the long run. Um, and so what we've developed is what we call our spoken hub technology. It's, it's this two phase process. Um, not to get too technical, the first phase, basically you're shredding and separate some of the materials in, in some uh, simple streams uh, and trying to capture that battery material as an intermediate product versus the other metals and, and other, some plastics. And, uh, you know, historically this has been done a lot with thermal processes. Uh, it's also been uh, existing processes that are doing other types of recycling or refining when you say thermal, like a smelting type of mechanism? Yeah, smelting type. Uh-huh. Or or even if you're shredding, they often will use some heat to get rid of some of the, the good the materials like the plastics. Mm-hmm. And okay. so we've developed a technology specific to this market, uh, really with the complexities of lithium ion in mind, uh, and tried to also eliminate as much manual intervention. So, you know... Th- some groups will have to discharge all the batteries before shredding. Mm-hmm. You know, that's inherent in our process that you can put in fully charged batteries or dismantling down to really the fundamental component, the cell. Um, and, and so, you know, some batteries have thousands of these cells and it is a quite mm-hmm. manually intensive or labor intensive, sorry. Uh, but also there's some health and safety risks there. So we've tried to, to automate as much of that to simplify the process in that front end the other thing I mentioned, the weights, I mean, the big challenge the industry always talks about and still talks about is, you know, moving these things around mm-hmm. uh, is is difficult. And of course, right now we get material from all over North America, including California. But the okay. concept here is to deploy spokes across a region to get closer to where the batteries are and reduce that cost for our customers of getting the battery to us for recycling. And the carbon footprint associated with that, if you really want to you know, look at the big picture, right? Exactly. So when we do our life cycle analysis, mm-hmm. that piece of moving the batteries to us is mm-hmm. incorporated 
uh, as well into that analysis. So that's the first phase. You get this intermediate material that has all the valuable and, and for the audience members, I mean, really the high value materials are the cobalt, the nickel, the lithium type of individual yep. um, commodity prices. And that's what we're trying to, to extract. So we have the second process, the hub, which we've piloted here in Kingston, Ontario, and are building a, a large scale, essentially refinery to refine that intermediate material and produce battery grade materials. So mm-hmm. battery materials are very high purity. And again, the the Porsche, the industry that's done this before is focused only on nickel cobalt and used existing processes that they even take mine material. We've designed this specifically for material coming out of spent batteries and optimized the efficiencies and the sustainability uh, mm-hmm. around the economics uh, around this. Additionally, we're able to produce really highly pure lithium that can also go back into batteries. And so the end goal is right. to produce those and bring them back uh, to customers, which could be the same customers that are sending us the batteries, right? The battery makers, the mm-hmm. automotive OEMs, and and create this circularity. You mentioned carbon footprint, um, and we can get into this deeper, but uh, that a big portion of the carbon footprint of making an EV is the battery itself, and a big portion of that is uh, the raw material supply. So now mm-hmm. with recycled materials, you're starting at that front end and helping to to reduce that carbon footprint of the initial manufacturer of the vehicle. Right, that overall wheel-to-well that I mentioned, if you look exactly. at the whole life cycle of that. Um, uh, right now, I take it there isn't enough battery uh, used battery supply to replenish the needs for new battery manufacturing, i.e., you know, all the minerals and materials that are needed to produce new batteries. And, you know, there's talk about, you know, cobalt potentially shortages and other shortages. Um, A, is that true? And B, when do you see maybe a point where, you know, there'll be a significant amount of materials coming back from the um, from the recovery uh, end of the spectrum versus the, the new mining side of it? Yeah. So right now it's really complementary to mm-hmm. those primary materials. Uh, I mean, we're in this interesting phase of rapid growth of mm-hmm. new deployment of manufacturing of batteries and EVs. Yeah. Um, so the, the growth rate we're going to see in the next three to five years uh, is going to be put a strain on that, that supply chain. And yes. so we can make a dent in that, but there's not enough material coming off the road. So right. our prediction is, you know, late 2020s, 2028 to 30, you're going to start seeing, let's say in a North American context, first wave of vehicles truly becoming end of life. Mm-hmm. And maybe in 2030, we start to, we won't see as much of this capacity growth in EV manufacturing or battery manufacturing. A lot of that's happening now. So you may see a flip start to happen in that period where you you finally get the end of vehicle life. So the volume to be recycled increases. Mm-hmm. You don't have the high growth and demand of the raw materials, but you have an increased production of recycled raw materials. So mm-hmm. that's what we're preparing for. But there's already demand and the demand's accelerated. I mean, we keep advancing our plans of expansion, advancing, you know, in, in terms of doing it quicker because of the the demand and growth. Mm-hmm. And the near-term requirement for recycling is really coming from the manufacturing side. So uh, scrap generated from that battery production uh, can be recycled, reused in, in the market. And mm-hmm. we can build capacity for that, which will then be used, you know, seven, eight years from now to, to recycle the end-of-life batteries. 
Yeah, because, you know, really most EVs, with the exception of some of the older Leafs and, and Mitsus and this kind of stuff that have been out there for a while, maybe some older Teslas, you know, they're still kind of pretty, pretty active. Uh, there's not a lot of inventory, as you said, coming out. So, but that will de- uh, increase. And and in my feeling is it has to, if we, we globally speaking, or I'll take a little bit of a higher level than you and I are at, but, you know, if, if we need to really combat climate change and, and do our thing, our, our commitments to greenhouse gas lowering transportation sector is an important sector. It's not the biggest, but it's an important sector and mm-hmm. automotive you know, landscape, you know, uh, light duty vehicles are the biggest component of that sector. Um, but, you know, the, the global fleets at a billion, 1.5 billion auto, you know, L- LVDs roughly today, you know, we, there were about three and a half million EVs sold last year, which, which game was a growth year. So we're nowhere near, the point of even making a, a dent in, in the global fleet, you know, that's still going to, you know, the average car is 10, 12 years out there, right? The internal combustion. Yeah. So we would assume the same for all electric. So they'll probably have at least a 10 year life cycle, eight to 10 anyway. So, uh, you know, you guys are busy doing, again, the consumer stuff. Um, I know the scrappage from the GM contract, right? Because GM's really not, they haven't, there's no used Altiums coming back yet because they haven't really put them out there. So yeah. in the manufacturing process, you're taking that elements, which I think is great and and being productive on it. But uh, so I think you probably may be underestimating the growth. I think is going to be even more phenomenal than what you, what you guys think, um, purely for the fact that it has to, if we're really going to make, if the world is going to commit to the impacts and to the commitments of, Paris Accords and everything like that, this has to happen. I mean, the numbers have to turn. And that's what I keep telling my my listeners and viewers that, yeah, get excited. Okay, Tesla is going to build a million cars. It's great. But I mean, you know, 70 million were sold last year. <laughs> so, I mean, when are we going to catch up to that, right? Yeah, I think we're in a very interesting time, though, mm-hmm. where... A, you have, you know, when we talk about that 2030 timeframe, a lot yep. of the companies, I mean, it depends 2030 or 2035, they say they're not going to sell ICE engines. Right. But, um, you know, three years ago when we we're in this business, it was really predominantly the Leaf, the Volt and the Teslas, right? And and mm-hmm. you saw the other OEMs uh, kind of looking at this, not really launching vehicles, maybe launching one vehicle, but Fast forward to the last 12 months has been a crazy time. I mean, you have mm-hmm. the new upstarts, the Rivians, Fiskers, mm-hmm. Lucid's actually getting into production now, yep. similar to a Tesla. But where I see that the when you take the big three or the large German companies or the Korean companies, they they all have the platform to build and scale out and roll out multiple models at the mm-hmm. same time, right? So in a quick succession a lot of these companies can have eight, 10 models on the road, which will, I think, really drive then giving consumers optionality, price yep. points. You know, now we have, you can buy a pickup, you can buy a family sedan, you can buy a sports car. So all the regular optionality we have with vehicles is starting to come. And I think that will start to bring more consumers around uh, to the idea of owning um owning an EV and, and, and looking at their options when it comes to an EV. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's, I think we're, you know, every week it's a different automotive company making major announcements right now, mm-hmm. right? Last week was Ford's week. Who knows what next yep. week brings, yeah. <laughs> exactly. uh, right? But uh, I think everyone's buying in and investing heavily now in this. And I, I think the traditional, no, I don't know what incumbent manufacturers 
have more of that infrastructure where they can scale up the manufacturing. And what's going to be a major yeah. bottleneck then is, is the battery supply, which okay. also relates to the commodity supply. But mm-hmm. I think also in the last three months, the number of cell manufacturing plants announced in the, let's say North America, but they're mostly in the U S right now um, has increased between LG's new plant, not the, not the LTM contract we have, but they announced another plant in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have SK in Georgia and now Ford and their blue oval partnership with that, uh, SK. So there's about six mm-hmm. other gigafactories being installed and there's right. all sorts of rumors always, but I mean, maybe there's one that ends up in, in Canada as well, just because of the automotive supply chain here. Um, and, and so there's definitely massive growth and massive announcements in, in, yeah, it's interesting. During the pandemic, this industry has scaled at a phenomenal rate. So, uh, I think to your point, Kev, I think we're we're getting there, and I think we're we're at a very interesting point in time right now. In we industry. absolutely are, especially when you look at only as you mentioned a short few years ago, where it was very slow growth, and we have seen a bit of a hockey stick, which will continue to rise, and 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 that's why I'm excited about the industry. Um, you, you, uh, we talked a little bit about the market potential there. So, you know, it's really huge. I mean, so you get, there's a lot of life span for you, for you guys to play in this marketplace. Um, when you, right now you're, you're offsetting some of the initial um, supply for the battery manufacturers by the recovery aspects. Um, is that a, uh, if you can comment on this, is that a lower cost to the battery cell manufacturer or the OEM when you sell that back to them versus the original resource coming out of the ground? Is there a cost savings for OEMs on that? Or yeah, I mean, it's, bit, it, you know, you're playing very much in the commodity market of yeah. cobalt mm-hmm. nickel. So mm-hmm. we will go with whatever the, the market price is. Okay. Um, yeah. We, we're getting a very different or in a sense from this urban mining concept versus mm-hmm. what you get out of the ground. True. A lot of those materials that we extract from a battery don't come out of the ground together. So, right. um, you know, the same process, we can have many more products. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we like to you know, have a cost effective solution that can make a profitable business um, by selling at the market rate. So why would we sell at a discount in a sense? Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, we see with policies, for example, in Europe where they're requiring recycled material, Mm -hmm. uh, there's actually not that much recycled material production relative to what the demand is. So Mm -hmm. can that create a different, almost premium for, for green materials, uh, is yet to be seen as well. Interesting. I, I wasn't aware of some of the European policies, but it makes perfect sense again, um, do you see that coming to North America, similar policies? And, and and if it does, will it probably be led by the U.S. under the current administration? Yeah, I think the, the U.S. and Canadian governments are working very closely mm-hmm. now on critical material supply. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Biden administration has announced a number of things in the last years across the whole EV supply chain, charging infrastructure, manufacturing, right. and raw materials is a big part of it. And mm-hmm. there's generally a sense to how can we domesticate that whole supply chain. So we have the cell manufacturing coming, you have recycling. There's some intermediate steps there of, of the raw material production that are missing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I think the you know Canada and US are trying to work on. In terms of policy, I would say that uh, 
we tend to here in North America be a little bit more market force driven than Europe. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's different policies floating around. Right. But I don't know if it'll be as aggressive uh as the the European one. There are you know the industry associations and things like that where people express the opinion, why don't we work with the European blueprint here? Mm-hmm. And also it makes it easier for the OEMs because a lot of the OEMs here are selling there or vice versa. Then they could have a consistent strategy kind of cross region and even globally, you know, even beyond that, right? In Asia and other markets. Yeah, absolutely. I just asked about the cost because typically going green tends to cost more. So I'll use the example. I, I just read um, on Bill Gates' climate uh, book a little while ago, his new one yeah. from a couple of weeks ago. I'm just ago. finishing great, that up. It's a great read. I mean, yeah. I'm a very slow reader, but I read that thing in like under a week. And for me, that's really good. I couldn't put it down. And obviously, the I think the main barrier to lowering you know carbon to net zero is cost it's a financial cost more than and and technologies and because we don't have some technologies to do that but a lot of its costs and the example of the concrete which i never knew about that it costs more to get concrete made that is less impactful on greenhouse gas emissions so that's why i asked about the costing element yeah. and, and it, it's a that's a very positive answer then because in your case it's not costing the oems more to be green so which is good because it's going to help promote that that sense of being even more green and continue to grow that that makes sense yeah exactly yeah. I'm, I'm like three quarters of the way through the book but i know in the <laughs> concrete cement i was really uh, blown away with that part not to go off topic but that was yeah. really but I think there's a lot of companies yeah. trying to minimize mm-hmm. that. Um, but I mean, concrete and steel are, are big. You mentioned yeah. transport sector is a small part of it. But mm-hmm. I mean, the book makes good some good points that also we can clean up the transport sector and the tailpipe emissions. But um, some people skew this data. But I mean, what it really mm-hmm. matters about is the grid. I mean, here in Ontario context, yeah. the grid is very clean, yeah. CO2-wise. Generally in North America, we are, but there's countries in Europe, for example, even Eastern Europe, where there's 80% coal. So are you really doing mm-hmm. a better job uh, exactly. by driving an yeah. electric vehicle? <laughs> exactly. Um, it's a point of view. You have yeah. to put things in perspective. And that's, yeah. I talk to or a lot of people about that. Yeah. Even in Germany, right? The, with the the shutdown of nuclear, they run mm-hmm. a lot of coal still. So yeah. um, that's, you know, does the EV move the needle? I, I don't know the answer, but I think you have to, to look at the the grid mix and mm-hmm. the book makes the same point that we need to yep, first clean up the electrical infrastructure and that'll yep. help a lot of other things. That's right. And a lot of technology advances. Not that we're here promoting Bill Gates books, uh, listeners. We're just, it's a good <laughs> reference point. We just happened conversations. Yeah, it's related to the topic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now um, in your uh, recycling and recovery, uh, how efficient is that? So if, if I take a battery pack, I take it, you get, do you get the packs or you get the individual cells from the OEMs uh, or from these, or is it in a combination of of formats? So in general, we get all of those, you know, starting with that scrap I talked about of Mm -hmm. making the cell cells, Mm -hmm. modules, packs from the actual OEMs. When we're talking about after sales, pickup from dealership, uh, it tends to be packs or modules. So different Mm -hmm. OEMs have different approaches of what their dealerships can do or, Maybe some dealerships can do in terms okay. of changing out a module. As far as a disassembly and, goes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. they open the pack, put the new module in, and then yep. we get the module. But others, we were getting the whole pack. And then also 
I mean, we still we see a decent number of uh, like uh, hybrid electric packs or plug-in mm-hmm. hybrids. So those are generally you're getting the whole pack actually. Okay, because um, they're very so it's small bit, anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty variable. But mm-hmm. I think I mean for the midlife crisis, not the end of life of the of the batteries. The the probably my gut feeling is that more and more OEMs will want to train dealerships to be able to swap out modules rather mm-hmm. than throwing away a good pack. Cause you may only have an issue with, you know, a quarter of the battery or eighth of the battery. Right. And it's a large expense to, I mean, not a large expense, mm-hmm. but it's under warranty replacing that pack uh, mm-hmm. for the customers. Lar- yeah. Lar- I, I didn't want to say large expense for the recycling. I want to say for replacing yep. the pack for the customer. Of course. Yeah. For sure, it is right now. The pricing yeah. is still way out there. So, based on that, then how uh, how efficient is the process? Would you say you're you're reclaiming you know ninety eight percent of the stuff in there, re- reclaiming slash recycling? Is it a hundred percent? Is there a mixture? Of that? It's close to ninety five percent. So nice. Okay, you know, for mm-hmm. mass in versus yep. mass out, it's ninety five percent recovery okay. as usable. Like so, that's really the product uh, recovery rate. So every unit of cobalt going in, mm-hmm. we can bring out as 95% of that as cobalt. There's some contamination across products and that's where some of the material goes. And then very small uh, stream of uh, what we call zero liquid discharge from the hydromet process to mm-hmm. uh, to get rid of other impurities and other parts of, okay. of the material. And then that remaining 5% is that, um, that's not recycled, that's not reclaimed or anything. Is that typically burned incinerated slash landfill is it a combination of things right yeah so the a part of the other five percent is just Mm -hmm. accounted for in cross product so you might get you might get some cobalt in the nickel product etc and then there's this very Mm -hmm. small stream as i said the zero liquid discharge where we'd work with the environmental services company to appropriately um take that to the the waste site or or, uh, wherever it needs to go because we do have fairly strict regulations and yeah. and legislation and, and uh, you know oversight when it comes to that. I know the U.S. Thank goodness they still have their EPA because that was, you know, questionable under the previous administration. So hopefully uh, they'll continue to regulate. Um, we've only got a few minutes left, so I wanted to just quickly touch. I know you mentioned some of the expansions, and, and I do have an article here that talked about. Um, that you guys are also going to build a new uh, facility in Arizona. You know, that'll be a great place to visit in January. So I'm sure you're going to be excited about that once we can fly again. Um, And you're going to, so your commercial spoke three. So you talked about the spoke. So this will be your third then? um, Yeah. So we have one in Kingston, Ontario, which Mm -hmm. was the first, then Rochester, New York. Oh, okay. And now Phoenix, Arizona. So uh, that covers us, you know, on the coast in the U.S., Mm -hmm. you know, Canada being a smaller market. Uh, we pull from all over Canada and Kingston and, and some stuff from the U.S. actually excess supply from the U.S. into our Kingston plant. Um, and that's the current planning and announced planning. But yep. as this market grows, we'll have to continue to expand capacity. No, for sure. And, you know, the announcement talks about uh, uh, bringing online a capacity of 20,000 tons per year for this particular facility. So once that is up and running, do you have any sense to how many tons per year the combined spokes will be processing? Yeah. So sorry, the 20,000 tons is combined. So the, oh, is that combined? Each, okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, yep. Kingston and Rochester, each five. And then okay. Phoenix will be scaled up to 10,000 10, tons. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I had to read that. You're right. Absolutely. No worries. And uh, what would you say is a percentage of the overall marketplace 
to put that putting that in perspectives, you know, thirty thousand or twenty thousand tons compared to the market that's out there in a tonnage. If you're able to write, you know, is it a million yeah. tons? I mean, I'm trying to just. So, I mean, at a global level, we estimated this year, it's about the the global market is about 500,000 tons of of, uh, material. A lot Uh of that is, of course, in Asia, because that's where a lot of the manufacturing scrap is. 40% of EVs are in China, yeah. (laughs) But here in North America, I mean, the market is growing so rapidly. So, you know, the build out of our capacity and others here is what it's helping is keeping the material here rather than being traded overseas. Yeah. And we continue to to see more material generated, more announcements of production that's going to create more material. Uh, so our team is constantly kind of refining those estimates, but we don't have a, I wouldn't want to quote a number of what our market share here is. Exactly. Well, there's our closing music. So that means we're getting short in time, but I did want to ask you um, a couple of last things. So, you know, I, I'm really excited about this because it's such an important part of, of the EV market space. And I know that, you know, there's other companies as well and has to be right to, to handle that half a million, you know, tons that you just mentioned, there has to be more guys doing that. Um, but uh, how do you see, um, uh, you know, if somebody, or, you guys aren't public, right? You're not traded on TSX or anything yet? Uh, we're in the process of going public, ah, so okay, good. we had announced I asked <laughs> in February yeah. that uh, we've uh, undergoing a SPAC transaction, which yes, is okay. uh, yep. a way to get listed on the NYSE. Seems and, to be the norm, the new norm now. <laughs> and it will be, uh, it's expected to close this quarter. Excellent. And, okay. and so then we'll be a public traded entity. So uh, I'll have to look for that. So listeners, you know. Not that I'm an investing guy. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, take any uh, claims of that I'm smart on this, but certainly something that you should check out and make your own decisions on. Absolutely. Now, I hear that you have an EV. What EV do you have in your life? Yeah, so my wife and I bought a Model Y back in February. I, I hadn't owned a car in nice. 10 plus years because, yes. <laughs> I mean, I lived downtown Toronto. I lived yeah, in Germany wow. before that for a few nice. years. But um obvious choice was to have an EV going forward. I mean, we live in a condo. We, we uh-huh. don't have our own charger. And mm-hmm. so that was a big uh, factor is, uh, you know, this is my personal opinion and not biased, but yep. you know, when I look at even trying to drive for work to Kingston sometimes, et cetera, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the supercharger network and ability to charge as you go is, is far superior. Yep. Uh, at this time, I think there'll, there'll be other options over time, but not having a charger at home, I think that that was the, you know, it's easier to lean that way, but mm-hmm. um, I'm really excited for our next EV, what, how many options we'll have and, and uh, or if I'm allowed to get a second car, then yeah. <laughs> we could have a different, more fun or, uh, I mean, not that this car isn't fun, but yeah. um, there's so many different opportunities out there. So um, for sure, it it's, absolutely uh, is. it's a great car though. It's a lot of fun to drive and uh I mean, all any of the EVs I've driven, I've probably driven about three or four different ones so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, it's a different experience, but I, I think that's what we that's what we tell people. You get yeah. somebody behind the wheel, that's kind of the light. The light goes on. Well, congratulations on that. The Model Y is a great vehicle. I have a Model Three. You know, check out my channel. I do some Tesla stuff as well, some some accessories and things on my Model Three, and I talk about it. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. The whole the whole that whole charging and that whole. Um, experience you know that tesla like that kind of is still a bit of the market leader today the industry is catching up so in another couple of years you know two to three maybe four years ultra fast is standard all this kind of stuff there'll be more infrastructure to support it so uh, and that's again going to help get people into into evs 
It's been a pleasure, uh, Kanal, to, to speak with you today. I've learned a lot. I'm really excited about your contracts with GM as well and, and all the other OEMs because they are, as you as we said, they are really jumping you know, full board into the EV landscape. You know, when you hear Ford, I'm all in, GM or I'm all in. I mean, these are big things. So it's all good for you guys. Any last you know, 15 second closing comments or something like that. You want to, want to say, no, to I folks? appreciate yeah. the invite. I mean, we, we, it sounds like we could probably talk another two oh, hours, could. but EVs, <laughs> uh, but I think we're, yeah. we're just in a really exciting time right now. And uh, yep. I think myself personally, and, and also our team just uh, with all the news that comes out is, is more excited each day. And we're happy to be a part of the critical infrastructure or ecosystem to make this work. Exactly. Well, again, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to me today. Appreciate it. And all no the best. Problem. Thanks, Thanks for having me. And stay safe. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at evrevshow. I'm also on Instagram, evrevolutionshow. And If you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening, and please, everybody stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you.